Art takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. Last week, the Mountain Goats released their 19th studio album, Dark in Here, so I figured it was a good time to come in swinging off a hot tag and attempt to lay out a whole host of jabronis by making my case that the undisputed heavyweight champion of the Mountain Goats records is actually 2015's pro wrestling themed album, Beat the Champ. This week, everyone is wrong, but I'm not. In the opposing corner across from me today is returning wrestling aficionado and someone who only listens to the Mountain Goats, Allison McManus. Thanks for coming on again, Allison. Thanks for having me again, Seth. It's funny that you got me for another wrestling theme thing, even though it's a music related thing. Yeah, it wasn't really like intention. It like dovetails, but you would be the person I would bring in to talk wrestling and you would also be the person that I would bring in to talk the Mountain Goats. I know, just kind of synergized that way. So this is the Venn diagram that perfectly intersects, and it works great. So let's get into the background of the Mountain Goats, for those who aren't familiar with the band, to kind of contextualize why this is such a strong heart take by me, as opposed to just being like, oh yeah, it's an album that's good. It's a controversial opinion if you're in the Mountain Goats realm. So The Mountain Goats is the musical project of singer-songwriter John Darnell, who began The Mountain Goats as a solo endeavor, and it morphed into a band over time. As I said up top, the band has released 19 studio albums to date. John began the project in 1991 with very lo-fi home-recorded albums, where he recorded into a cassette boombox. John has a take-some-time-to-warm-up-to-it distinctive nasal twang in his voice and employs hyper-literate lyrics. And using that kind of combination, that very distinctive sound and these very distinctive words that he crafts, the Mountain Goats earned a niche DIY following for a long time. As the band progressed over its first decade... John brought in Rachel Ware to play bass until she left the group and was replaced by Peter Hughes, who remains the band's bassist to this date. In 2007, drummer John Worcester from Superchunk joined the band, and that's kind of been the core three of the band ever since that time. After a bunch of the lo-fi home-recorded albums, in 2002, the Mountain Goats released two albums, the stripped-back Boombox recorded All Hail West Texas, and the full-band album Tallahassee, both of which have become widely influential touchstones for the band, thanks to songs like The Best Ever Death Metal Band Out of Denton. The Best Ever Death Metal Band Out of Denton With a couple of guys who'd been friends since grade school One was named Cyrus, the other was Jeff And they practiced twice a week in Jeff's bedroom Best ever death metal band out of Denton Never settled on a name But the top three contenders After weeks of debate Were Satan's Fingers And the Killers And the Hospital Bombers And no children I hope that our few remaining friends Give up on trying to save us I hope we come up with a fail-safe plot To piss off the dumb few that forgave us I hope the fences we mended fall down beneath their own weight And I hope we hang on past the last exit I hope it's already too late 
After almost a decade and a half, the Mountain Goats sort of broke out from the ever-struggling indie band territory with their 2005 album, The Sunset Tree. I am gonna make it through this year If it kills me I am gonna make it through this year If it kills me They've sort of been in the successful indie band realm ever since, where they can go around and play a bunch of sold-out shows in club venues. They're not massive, but they are successful and have found their niche and found their groove. John has also proved a successful author with his 2014 debut novel, Wolf in White Van, being nominated for the National Book Award. So that's sort of the very quick cliff notes version of the mountain goats allison how did you first get into the mountain goats well the first time i really experienced the mountain goats was moral oral which they had three three songs i think off of uh tallahassee had no children and old college try i think there was one more um but i didn't really get into them until about 2009 2010 so they've been around for a little bit and i heard this year which is the big hit off of sunset tree right and that really got to me. And then that was right before All Eternal's Deck was the first album that I was a fan of and bought. So that's the first era of the Mountain Goats that I was consistently listening to, mm-hmm. which had already been a full band. John John Worcester had already been in the band by then, which is awesome. And so this year being my entry point really to the Mountain Goats always sold me on the full band era of the Mountain Goats compared to the Boombox era. There is definitely a split in the fandom between band era and boombox era mountain goats yeah it's funny because i basically have the exact same path like i got into them because of the songs i heard on moral oral which for people who might not be familiar was a like claymation show on adult swim and yeah they used a couple mountain goats i remember old college try was the one that hooked me they used it at the end of one of the episodes and it was just like oh this song's amazing and i'd heard about the mountain goats before because When Life of the World to Come, which is an album based around like songs based on biblical verses was released, they were getting some traction and I saw, you know, blogs write about them and they made a couple TV appearances and it just didn't click with me. That's one of my least favorite Mountain Goats albums now having like gone back and listened to all of them. So it was like a bad first introduction and then I got that moral oral thing and it's kind of gone ever since been a fan and also the first album i did buy was all eternals deck and yeah i've just kind of been into them ever since we've both been to shows of theirs in seattle together and it's great their fans are very obsessive we can kind of get to that a little bit later but that kind of sets the deck for how we got into the Mountain Goats and and that maybe colors our opinions in certain ways. But the album that I'm championing today is Beat the Champ, the group's 13-track concept album about pro wrestling. The record was released on April 7th, 2015 and debuted at number 65 on the Billboard charts, which is actually the highest charting position of any Mountain Goats album, which really surprised me. Looking back on it, I'm sure it's not the best-selling one because I'm sure like the Sunset Trees sold better, but it just didn't. I, I'm pretty sure All Hail West Texas has too because of the re-release on vinyl right. as well. Yeah, I'm sure it's not the highest-selling one because all those albums had longer 
lives and people discovering them after the fact. Whereas this one, it was just the right period of like kind of their peak awareness and people pre-ordering the albums and all that. That said, even though this is the highest charting Mountain Goats album, I think it's an acceptable everyone is wrong topic because I'm probably one of the only people who would consider themselves a big Mountain Goats fan who thinks this is their best record. Am I fair to say that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's definitely... I go back and forth between this one and another one, which I'll bring up later, which is Heretic Pride. And I'll talk about why that one is speaks to me too. But yeah, yeah, I would say that we're tag team partners, if you want to say, in the <laughs> championing the beat the champ here. And not only is it weird to say that this is their best album, I would bet most Mountain Goats fans would not have this in their top five Mountain Goats records. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. It's interesting. I'm in a I'm in a couple of Mountain Goats groups on Facebook that are pretty like hardcore fans and Be the Champ does come up occasionally. It's always people that A are have are most of the time are fans of wrestling, even though they're, you know, way even younger than us. Um it's safe to say, which is interesting, because even the, the subjects on Beat the Champ or stuff were you and I were either not born or we were like two to five years old, since it's mostly late seventies, early eighties references. Yeah. And not even WWF or WCW, well, Jim Crockett Productions, I guess, at the time, WCW. Right. So it's very obscure-ish territorial wrestling references. Right. So critically, Beat the Champs, it's at a 79 on Metacritic. Spin gave it an 8 out of 10. The LA Times and Rolling Stone gave it 3.5 stars out of 5. AV Club gave it a B. Pitchfork gave it a 6.6, which is pretty good for them. It's a relatively well-reviewed record but it wasn't really garnering raves it was like oh yeah this is a pretty good album it wasn't on a bunch of people's end of the year lists a few critics quotes of it dan weiss of spin wrote humanizing people who spend their tenure on earth striving to only be seen as a character is what darnell does best champ leaves you wondering why these athletes haven't been mined by the folk singing tradition until now noel murray in the av club said the sound of the mountain goats is hardly the sound of wwe or its 1970s equivalent beat the champ is a beautiful record not a muscular one even when darnell indulges in his heavy metal fanboy side and rocks hard on songs like choked out and werewolf gimmick he sticks with his acoustic guitar, favoring cleanness over distortion. And for most of the album, the Mountain Goats aim for soft, sweet, minimal arrangements with strings and woodwinds tastefully accenting piano, guitar, and drums. It's remarkable how much sonic depth the band is able to achieve with so little. And Seth Sommerfeld, hey, that's me. Over at Long Live the Album, named this his number one album of 2015, writing, With Beat the Champ, the Mountain Goats managed to turn tales from the territorial pro wrestling era into the most beautiful and touching album of the year. Take a moment to consider the degree of difficulty. Somehow, John Darnell pulled it off flawlessly. Beat the Champ rocks out to capture the pseudo-sports violent fun, foreign object, ruthless aggression, werewolf gimmick, Pride, Ballad of Bull Ramos, and Familial Roots, The Legend of Chavo Guerrero, but also slows things down for breathtakingly gorgeous tunes about the road life, Southwestern Territory, tradition, Unmasked and Hair Match, 
and the faded glory of lost souls, Luna. Perhaps those without a background in pro wrestling can't fully appreciate the mastery of the songwriting on display, but take a moment to look up the real life stories. That knowledge makes Beat the Champ become an even more awe-inspiring feat. The limping warrior headed to the back of the locker room with a golden belt slung around his shoulder, that's the Mountain Goats. Oh, it did not make my top 10 of 2015, although it did make my... I, I was looking at my medium when I published 2015 albums too, but looking back at what I had published, it probably would have been five or six, but I, had, I think I had a 12. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do an exercise where every year I go back and relook at my list a year later and re-rank it and add things because oftentimes I'll get caught up in the moment or get caught up in like reading where, seeing where everybody else puts albums and be like, oh, I should put it like higher and having some time to reflect sometimes makes things better. It's kind of the same thing with the Oscars, how people are like, it'd be better if they did the Oscars 10 years later because it's like, oh, these are the movies that people actually remember, not, you know, more people remember Goodfellas than Dancing with Wolves and whatnot. Yeah, right. So with that established, here's why everyone is wrong and Beat the Champ is actually the best Mountain Goats album, according to me. So my first point of defense is album cohesion, and it's mainly an argument in favor of the album as a singular artistic work. It's something like I named my blog Long Live the Album because I think there's value in an album being a cohesive thing as opposed to a collection where there's some good songs and some bad songs. So just to run down, I... Last year, I re-listened to all the Mountain Goats albums in a short period just to like re-rank them and kind of figure it out. And here's my top seven Mountain Goats albums. It's Beat the Champ number one, Heretic Bride, which you mentioned at number two, Transcendental Youth, The Sunset Tree, Tallahassee, Get Lonely, and All Hail West Texas. That includes some of the ones that people would generally rank, but I would say... Normally, people, the top three Mountain Goats albums to most Mountain Goats fans, and again, there's lots of variety, but I would say the three like touchstone ones are probably Sunset Tree, Tallahassee, and All Hail West Texas. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I would say my top five are probably... Okay, so number one would be Heretic Pride. Number two would be Beat the Champ. And then three would be... Actually, three would probably be Sunset Tree. Four would be Goths. Five would be All Hail West Texas. Yeah, I think that's a fair list. I don't have goths as high, but yeah. yeah. So anyway, I was just doing that for contextualization. So those are those are my Mountain Goats albums. And with that said, I don't think Beat the Champ probably doesn't have a top 15 Mountain Goat song on it for me. Like there's so many of those albums like Sunset Tree and Tallahassee and All Hail West Texas where there are three or four songs, which I absolutely love. And then there's a bunch of songs where I'm kind of less high on. And what I think this album does so well is just has a collection of songs that work together so well and don't feel, it makes it feel like there aren't dips in the album and that it's all one cohesive thing as opposed to sort of peaks and valleys that some of the other Mountain Goats albums have. So 
that's generally the album cohesion thing is I think it just, I'm also not one of the tape guys, so it's not a tape era fan. So it, it those albums are, some of them are good and some are just like kind of charming in their quaint, like DIY, like aesthetic and energy that he's just putting in so much passion with such like little technical input which is great but it they just don't click with me in the same way from a songwriting perspective or a, both in terms of lyrically or the fleshed out yeah. songs and these have much more fleshed out songs i think what really is about this album the cohesion it's, it's a good flow i think the songs from top to bottom how he has it flows really well together i don't know the order if you change it up if it would actually make as much sense yeah it's track listing is really well laid out the sequencing the one other big thing i think about album cohesion is it samples different eras of the mountain goats yeah i was gonna i was gonna i was gonna make this point actually yeah so i'll I'll give a little rundown of how the album goes it starts with a kind of light soft entry on southwestern territories which kind of has this like feather flowing in the breeze it's very floaty Some of it might be a little close to like San Bernardino on Heretic Pride, or I think you were, you had a thought too. Oh yeah. It just reminds me of some of the, like maybe something from Transcendental Youth. I'm not trying to think of exactly. Right. It's, it's just got that vibe, that sort of vibe. A lot of the piano driven, like that jazzy feel that Transcendental Youth puts out. Right. And from there it transitions into the legend of Chavo Guerrero, which is sort of a rock rallying cry without trying to be like epic. It's just a very, it's a narrative based story kind of giving the biography details of Chavo Guerrero in a fun, like very just like fun. It was their sing first single of this album. Look high, it's my last hope. just kind of like a fun rock song it's not going like too hard or too aggressive it's just like good pop rock then foreign object is the next one which is sort of a jaunty it's got like a sax groove but it's also partially a comedic song but john's kind of going psycho in it where he's kind of letting his more like aggressive and violent side out which is pretty fun when juxtaposed with the like sax pops I'm gonna jab you in the eye with a foreign object I'm gonna stab you in the eye with a foreign object and as a live song it's a really fun sing-along song for the crowd yeah and because it's also got one of those end choruses where it's just the bop ba da da 
It's always fun live. Yeah. Animal Mask has kind of a folky, like it takes, slows down the pace, has a folky bounce. 18 steel cage free for all. Through the noise I hear you call for help. You can't protect yourself. Choked Out is a rock groove that's kind of just like pushed full to the limits. It feels kind of like the, like more aggressive old, some of the old mountain goats things where it's just like balls to the wall. I'm just playing as quick as I can. And we're just steamrolling through this song. Diamonds in the firmament, all reserves completely spent. Someone set up the oxygen tent. Everybody here is real proud to present choked out. Yeah, I wrote it. I, it feels very like an actual like folk punk song to me. Right. Which is older mountain. It's some older mountain goat songs, but just very much more more punk than anything else, even though it's an acoustic guitar. Right. Acoustic punk, folk punk. And then Heel Turn 2 kind of has a sunset tree feel to me, just in the way that it's structured. Drift down into the new dark. Congratulations. Then it has a very beautiful denouement at the very end where it kind of just is a piano and woodwinds sort of slow jam to the end. And that's that's that, that I consider that my favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. And Fire Editorial. This might be the only track that I feel like is kind of a skip track for me, but it's it's very ry- rhythmic piano rock. It's got a very distinctive like start stop motion too blinded in detroit something must be done jaws dropping it inside in the blood tide when the fireball hits which again it's its own feel and all of these are flowing into each other without it's a bunch of different things that never feel like jarring going from one end to the other stabbed to death outside san juan has this ominous creep just like crashing cymbals and like cello swells and sort of spoken word verses it's just like this thing of dread lurking in the shadows and then these like dynamic swells that are just i mean because it's the story of a murder and you feel that very on edge feeling throughout it yeah when the blade hits the bone everybody hears it sing shower room full of people no one hears a goddamn thing a twitch when the current runs wild sometimes twitch when the contact howls. Werewolf gimmick is another one of the 
full throttle you know it's a tornado of angry rock it kind of feels a little like sea right america where it's just like coming at you full steam and it's about again a crazed like wrestler who is blurring the lines between his violence if it's real or fake and it just crazed like wide-eyed john worcester's drumming on that song is stand out on the album for the drumming yeah the drumming the drumming on that song is sick nameless bodies Luna is again now it slows down the pace again that one feels very all eternals deck to me also because it's you know a song about somebody ODing and kind of the like faded glory in them and how there's this like glimmer of hope despite all this bad stuff around pause in mid-stride pause in mid-stride and ride Unmasked is a mostly acoustic ballad. And I'm up high, trying to say goodbye. The only way I know how, crude and graceless, peeking through the aisles, seeing the is has this very fun like southwest slide guitar like jaunty swagger to it never die never die stand with a bull whip in my hand and rise rise in the desert sand And then hair matches a soft come down after it. We'll stipulate that there will be no cameras filming. But of course, there will be several in the building. By chance, somebody hits record and stands real still somewhere back behind the soundboard. So it's just all these things. It's not one sound throughout. It's pretty much every single song has its own feel. I would say maybe like 
werewolf gimmick and choked out are kind of the two that are kind of close to each other, maybe unmasked and hair match have a little similarities and, but it, it's all these different things that is like a buffet of different flavors that isn't, that actually works. You know, it's like, it's like when, if you go to like, if there's a buffet at like a fancy restaurant, as opposed to like a buffet at golden corral, where it's not just like, we're just throwing slop out at all these different places. And it's just like, yeah, you can have some like kind of okay chicken and some things. It's like, oh no, all these things are paired together. So you can have a bunch of these flavors and not feel like you're just being pulled from spot to spot and jerked around the whole time. And it just makes for a very cohesive album that flows perfectly for me. Yeah. I just really, the whole album was just, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, we'll get into a little more of the explanation as we go along, but that's essentially the argument is that a lot of the albums that a bunch of mountain goats fans kind of hold would definitely hold higher than this. I feel like are much less consistent and much less kind of daring with their musical sounds, but still coming together. Like, and a few of the more recent mountain goats albums have had this, had the thing where, Oh, they're trying a different thing on every song, but I don't feel like they've connected as much. Um, like in league with dragons is that way where it's, Oh, there's some songs that sound nothing. This song doesn't sound like this song, which doesn't sound like this song, but I don't feel there's that tissue necessarily holding all the songs together nearly as well as this album. And moving on to the second point is I think this might be the album with the best collection of soft songs. So we'll dive in a little bit more to those. The three that specifically stand out are the album starter Southwestern Territories, Unmasked, and Hair Match. And then Animal Gimmick and Luna also play into that where they are soft ones. And even that piano denouement at the end of Heel Turn 2 is such a soothing come down that it's, it's that's not necessarily a soft song, but it's got one of the best kind of soft parts in it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the piano solo from Heel Turn 2 might be my favorite soft part of the whole album. Yeah. But that might just be my attachment to that song. But I, it's it's so good. It's And it's one of those things where if you haven't listened to the album for a long time, you almost forget that it's coming. Because it's just like such a... It's not like a harsh turn from the rest of the song, but it's just the rest of the song leads up to that. And then you're like, oh, it's like a parent like laying their kids softly down on after like a long day in bed and just like tucking over the cover. You're like, oh, this is... This feels warm and nice. and But yeah, so Southwest Territories, the first song, it's mainly piano and clarinet from Matt Douglas, who we will get to shortly. But it's this song about just the road life in the territory days. And it's just such a good tone setter for the album. It's got that feeling of sort of drifting and trying to find your place which is a very good way to enter an album generally is not necessarily like this is what this is but sort of 
as a tone setter and appetizer for what will come for the rest of the album? As a music fan or person in general, I think the way John uses Southwestern territory to not only tell the story of a wrestler on the road, but also to pull you in as a fan and tell you that you're about to go on this journey. And as he also talks about his life in some of these albums or uses metaphors for his life is also, I think, a really good setter for the contrast of the album, which is contrasting his love of wrestling with his family life growing up, which we'll talk, I think we can talk about some of the other songs later. But I feel Southwestern Territory really, it also has that cool feel of the the territory days, which are obviously long gone, even though there's still, you know, little pockets here and there of people talking about wrestling territories. So it feels like it is this journey that we're going to go on throughout this album and you can really see yourself, I guess, in the album. Right. So I I guess maybe we should describe what wrestling territories is for the people that might not be familiar so before kind of the wwe wwf and wcw crockett productions were like these big giants of wrestling that were on cable tv all the time and things like that pro wrestling was very much territorial in like the sense that there was a northeastern market and certain wrestlers wrestled there it was all these different markets run by various promoters but it was sort of like everybody had their own bubble and everybody sort of allowed everything to stay and weren't trying to like steal a bunch of people away what would happen would be like maybe for some of the bigger wrestlers they might work in a certain territory like i'm gonna work down in this mid-south and then do my heel run as this big giant bad guy. And then once that's starting to peter out, I will go to the Pacific Northwest or to California or to Texas. And they haven't seen me before because there's no, there's no TV coverage of this. So it's just like, you're all new to that audience. And so it would, there'd be these, you know, champions of the certain places in the Texas territories, you know, there were the Von Ericks and in Memphis, it was Jerry Lawler and all these people who would kind of hold down the fort, but then everybody else would sort of drift into the territories and you just drive around your own territory. So like Southwestern territories, it would be like, okay, we're in the Southwest. We're going to run these three cities, you know, and each new city, because there's not television coverage, this is like the new, it's the traveling circus almost. Or if it's basically just local television coverage, so you only get right. that show. And there was one big giant governing body called the NWA, which all the territories bought into, but that's more of like, the NWA is, if you think about like the NCAA and every territory was more like a conference. And there, while there was like a big national champion who would tour the different, they'd also have their own champions for each territory. And I think that's what's very interesting here. This whole album is about that era of wrestling so it's not the you know big fireworks and huge promotions and arena pack things it's the smaller local gyms it's the guys who are out there just grinding and women out there just grinding and doing this as a profession as you know something closer to almost carnies than to you know sort of the pro athlete actors that they are now Mm. While obviously there were a few people like Ric Flair or Bruno San Martino who would sell out Madison Square Garden or one of the big things, these are definitely, most of the people mentioned on the album were much more 
who were just more territorial or only well known in certain parts, which I think we'll come to later when we talk about some of the other tracks. So I got a little off track there. So going back to the soft songs, Unmasked and Hair Match just hit me on an emotional level. Like I'm not a person who's like a, even though I'm a big music person, I'm not like a big music crier or anything, but both those songs just like hit me in like the core. Unmasked is kind of grappling with bringing out like the real person before death. It's, you know, framed in, in terms of luchador masks and we can get into that when we get to the another point later on but it's sort of this song about accepting relief and accepting the end and it's just nothing beyond that acoustic playing and it's just it's such a tender song that pulls at my heartstrings in a very meaningful way and similarly hair match is just crushingly beautiful in this sort of minimalist finger picking bit and then you know the bass the bass and distant drums kind of come in a little and a little flute comes in at the very end but it's it's just so restrained and beautiful in its restraint and also on the softer songs on this album i think it's maybe the best use of john's layering john's own voice on top it, oh yeah it just sounds sure. things sound so pretty he's his voice kind of the layering of the like hush tones on these softer songs have a real emotional weight that sometimes isn't found on other mountain goats albums and it's not found in part because that's not what they're trying for you know on tallahassee it's a lot more you know screaming from your gut and like bald fist like I'm going to get out these thoughts and this is a lot more tenderness. But within this soft songs point, I feel like it's important to get to my third point, which is the Matt Douglas edition. So Matt Douglas is the person who arranged and performed the woodwinds on this album. There's saxophone, there's flute, there's clarinet. And the songs that he's on just sing in a way that other mountain goat songs up to this point mostly haven't done. He just very much understands how to write and arrange his parts to the way that John writes his songs. And it's so much the case that now after this album, he eventually became the fourth member of the band. And now he's the fourth along with Hughes and Worcester and yeah, I mean, what's your sort of feeling with Matt Douglas coming into the fold? I think that was a missing piece. We didn't know they were missing. Mm-hmm. They've had horns and stuff and string arrangements before. I mean, Owen Pallet did some and they had Matt White on Transcendental Youth, which was the first one I can really think of that had that jazzy horn feel. Right. And then when Matt started playing live, I've seen, you know, every time I've seen him live, he's really added because he plays saxophone, flute, clarinet. He plays guitar. He plays piano. So he's like this cool multi-instrumentalist that really lets John not have to focus on playing piano and guitar because some of the songs are written with both those in mind. Right. So it really has helped the live, the, the band itself become a very tight, a tight thing. And he just, like you said, he sings so well, with, like synergizes so well with John's songwriting that I think it really fits the Mountain Goats to have him in the band now. 
and on this album, yeah, the horns and the woodwinds are just so, so good. And so it's basically like having a backup singer. Yeah, it, it is. It's very, the way that the woodwinds are used are very vocal in in that way. They they work with the harmonies and it just, yeah, it's, a, as you said, it's that sort of synergistic relationship that you didn't know that John's songs I mean, you had hints because they do, as you said, use similar things, but it just clicked on this album in a way that I don't feel like it clicked on the prior ones, even though, again, like Transcendental Youth is one of my favorite albums, too. But it's less pronounced, I feel like, even though it might be bolder, again, similar to the soft songs, the way that John uses restraint. Matt Douglas is a really restrained woodwind arranger other than for an object which is just this big brassy sax thing but that's what that song needs and i feel like this is also a point where again us as non like tape era mountain goats fans and you know not boombox era or people that weren't in right at tallahassee i think there is some pushback from people where it's like uh like i don't want you know, woodwinds on my mountain ghost album. I want them to, I want just John out there with an acoustic guitar, or I want it to be like balls to the wall, no children songs again all the time. And, you know, the choked out and the werewolf gimmicks still there, but it's the mountain goats have aged in a very cool way in a very like evolved adult way. And I think sort of, not to be blunt, but those fans just need to accept that like John doesn't write those songs anymore. He's not like the angry, like recovering addict who's just screaming about how love is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a family I mean, man with kids. And the fact that he's basically disavowed going to Georgia or at least won't play it anymore because of that fact, like that's the big song that he basically will not play anymore because of, what it's about the subject matter and who he was at 23 or 22 whenever he wrote that compared to where he is now. And I think the fun, the funny thing is when they talk about him not being angry, it's like, did you listen to werewolf gimmick? Did you listen to choked out for an object? I mean, the anger is there. It's just not the anger, I guess that they want from their mountain goat songs. Right. And so, yeah, some Matt's clarinet on Southwestern territory, really it's sort of a, you know, a nice welcoming greeting for the album. It kind of lets you in softly. And then it's sort of bookended by, in Hair Match, the flute doesn't come in until near the end of that song. But then right. once the lyrics end, it sort of flutters. It's kind of like drifting these final, after the final lines, the flute's there and it's fluttering and it's sort of like, making the listener like drift away into the dark unknown after this, you know, cause a lot of this album's about like death and letting go. And these people that have really like abused themselves for the entertainment of others. And I don't know that the way that it just flutters and lifts away to the end is just so touching and perfect. And then also, you know, Matt, with the foreign object, which is just a blast of a song, 
it's just that there's a funkiness that like John is just never going to be able to be that funky with without the help of someone like Matt Douglas being there to imbibe this kind of crazy fun into the mix. So I just yeah. think that Matt coming in on this album and what he did on this album makes it one of the it's a key factor in the album and it's a key factor for why I think it is such a high album on the mountain goats discography. And so my fourth point, which is sort of my silly point is what I would like to refer to as John's couplet fun time. Basically, I think this is also the funniest mountain goats album. Like John isn't somebody who really writes comedy songs, but I think there's some comedic playfulness on this album that really stands out from the rest of the discography. And it just feels like John had so much fun with the kind of palette, the, the wrestling world allows him coming up with rhyme schemes that sort of fit that and the playful violence of it uh, really works. So with that in mind, I will now read to you, Allison, my 10 favorite fun time couplets that John has on this album and feel free to react however you want. <laughs> this is very David Letterman top 10 segment. So you are my, <laughs> you are my Paul Schaefer right now. Okay. But you don't have to fake laugh as much. Um, <laughs> so number 10 is from werewolf gimmick blood pooling on the canvas. As the atmosphere gets hushed, bring your heroes to the wolf den Watch them all get crushed. Yeah, like it's a very, very evocative too. Especially if you're a wrestling fan, you can definitely imagine someone right bleed down on the canvas. Because that's a, that's a song where the guy's gimmick is he's a werewolf character, and so him saying like, "Oh, like this ring is my wolf den," just it, that's the only part where it's established in the song. But you're like, "Yes, I this rocks!" Like, come get like devoured in the wolf den. Um, number nine is the opening line to Chavo born down in El Paso where the tumbleweeds blow to the middleweight champ of all Mexico number eight is also from werewolf some sniveling local baby face with an angle he can't sell full werewolf off the buckle like an angel straight from hell (laughs) that's really good I, I enjoy it quite a bit another chava one some of them are i can just tell he is taking so much fun in finding ways to put specific references into the songs so this one's from chavo red shoes dugan holding his arm all high out of breath i hated all of chavo's enemies i would pray nightly for their death the very interesting about that i did some research the background about that is did you know so red shoes dugan was also a referee obviously right yes it's a it's Specifically referencing a referee from John's youth. Uh, who was in uh, NWA Hollywood or Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Because mm-hmm. it was uh, Roddy Piper versus Chavo Guerrero. It's actually a match that you can find on the internet. That was apparently a very interesting match. I just love the, you know, the kid wrestling aspect of just like praying nightly yeah. for the death of, yeah. the, of the heel wrestlers because they're the bad guys beating up on your heroes. The number six is actually, it's a quatrain because it's four rhymes. This one's from Choked Out. $200 take-all purse, half Nelson to suplex reverse, 
worried look on the face of the ringside nurse at one for once with the universe. Choked out. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's just getting in reverse nurse universe purse. It's just like and dropping suplex references. Yeah. In there, suplex like... have Nelson, you know, it's just like he's having so much fun because it's again, something that sort of, he's a fan of it actually holds for goths, which is one of your favorite records because those are both albums about like things. He was a fan of goth culture and pro wrestling where he's just diving into his youth and finding all these specifics and finding ways to make them fun for himself in a way that like I'll hail West Texas. It's not that there aren't good rhymes there, but it's not like him having just a blast with it. And I enjoy him having just a blast with it. Number five from Southwestern territory nearly drive Danny's nose back into his brain all the cheap seats go insane. Number four from Heel Turn. Spent too much of my life now trying to play fair. Throw my better self overboard. Shoot him when he comes up for air. I mean, that's a good. Just very evocative of, you know, turning on your good self in the most evil, sinister way possible. Yeah. I mean, that whole song, I just said, appreciate it. It's like, when you're a baby face, which, you know, the good guy wrestler, but you're now you're being booked or you're you're turning character where you're becoming a bad guy or a heel. So it's like literally evoking, like you said, it's literally evoking beating yourself up on your your good side so you can become a bad guy. Mm-hmm. This is another one where it's the specific reference. And I could just imagine him sitting down and being like, yes, I found a way to get Al Madril as a rhyme here. Right. It's from Chavo. It's defender of the downtrodden, king of the hill, tag team champion with Al Madrill. Yeah, it's just like I'm gonna reference Chavo's tag team partner and make like him one a of rhyme. his tag team yeah. partners. Yeah, and make it rhyme. Yeah, it's not even like in the middle of a sentence. It's literally I'm gonna make it a rhyme. This one from Stab to Death is just a just a deep pull reference, and the sky goes dark, and there I am. Climbing down the Hertzsprung Russell diagram, which is a diagram of like star intensity light. It's oh yes, yeah, yeah. That is a, that is a deep reference. I don't even understand that. So thank you for explaining that to me. A Hertzsprung Russell diagram is a graph that shows the relationship between the luminosities of stars and their temperature. And in the context of the song, it's sort of the guy fading out after being stabbed and just like sort of fading into the darkness so it's you know becoming less luminous and less heat as he's fading away and the number one in john's couplet fun time for me just because it's so silly and gleefully violent is from foreign object one of these days my legs will both snap like twigs if you can't beat them make them bleed like pigs yeah that's really good too. So yeah, I I think there's so much fun on this album that I feel like maybe sometimes goes overlooked or say maybe people aren't necessarily looking for a super blast of a fun time from a Mountain Goats album all the time. They kind of want are looking for maybe that like more emotional catharsis kind of vibe, but I really dig it. Well, and I think the emotional catharsis is there if you really 
especially even on the fun songs like Chavo Guerrero, he really is comparing his dad's his stepdad to Chavo and how Chavo was basically there for him and his stepdad wasn't. Right. So now let's let's actually use that as a transition because the fifth and final point is I think this is the best Mountain Goats album thematically. First off, there are Mountain Goats theme albums, you know, of late, like Goss and this, where it's, you know, a very specific niche culture thing. And I think this is the best one of those. But also just the way that the songs are written lyrically now speaking on this album, I think are just remarkable because first off, it's treating the pro wrestling subject, which is all often something that you know is kind of looked down upon or you know it's a silly thing but it's treating it with like real beauty and real emotional weight and not just kind of this flippant thing to you know laugh at or get drunk watching and yell at but that there's actually these people there that are experiencing all of this and sort of their pain and their struggles and it's super into its details, but it's also approachable. Like, I feel you don't have to know wrestling to appreciate this album at all. But just knowing it, you know, it just like unlocks the doors on a lot of these songs that work perfectly. Like, you you can get the metaphors in the, a lot of these songs, even if you don't have the background into the territorial wrestling days or traditions in wrestling culture. But having them only makes the picture more filled in. And, you know, you don't need to just, you know, like even when we were doing our podcast, we did a podcast on Baron Corbin recently. And even earlier in this podcast, I feel like, you know, as I'm doing this, I have to describe some of the jargon and the backstories because people aren't necessarily familiar with that. But I think this album uses a bunch of that but it doesn't stop its momentum at any point yeah and everything lyrically like there's four songs that are specific to or five songs i guess are specific to things that happened in actual wrestling i mean chavo guerrero obviously talks yeah. about his career a little bit i'll go down some of the songs and we can kind of talk about them specifically now so yes yeah, as we mentioned southwest territories we kind of described that one how it's sort of this drifting between you know these territorial wrestling things but it also works on a level of you know just kind of being adrift it it feels you know like a good metaphor for just not totally finding your place yet or also for being in john's case like a band on the road where you just you know playing playing the new territories we're playing northwest territory and we're doing portland tonight (laughs) and seattle tomorrow and maybe up to vancouver and you just got to make sure the fans are popping in the back row. I mean, yeah, being adrift also like metaphorically, like mentally or like emotionally as well. I think that's something that fits really. I think that's why it's such an emotional song to me, too. It's like I really the struggle to like wander from from point A to point B is very strong. Right. And then, as you mentioned, Chavo Guerrero, it's a very specific biographical song where it's just talking about how Chavo was John's favorite wrestler growing up. But then he contrast he used it as a contrast for like this is my hero that i'm looking up to on the tv meanwhile i have this bad relationship with my stepdad and 
this it, you know the contrast where it, like the stepdad is sort of the heel in his life and is even giving him you know nagging on him for cheering for Chavo and he's cheering for the bad guys to you know spite him but Chavo is this you know beacon of justice and hope for him as a little kid when you're struggling and don't have anywhere to go the good guy wrestler on TV is there and he's beating up the bad guys and it's like he's beating up your demons and is able to track the whole story of Chavo and then eventually Chavo makes it to the WWE and you know, he's there with his son. Chavo Guerrero Jr. Yeah. It speaks to like, oh, not only is this guy my wrestling hero, he's also like the good dad. And he's by, you know, his dad is by his side and bringing up his son. And it's just very playing on those whole dynamics. And it's a way to address like those. There's been lots of like the sunset tree is basically an album all about the relationship with his stepdad and it's very direct and you're not you know you're you're never in the dark about what he's talking about there but this is kind of doing it in sort of a more roundabout way that's very interesting i will say i also popped and loved in chavo guerrero when he obviously mentioned chavo's brother so chavo senior's youngest brother was eddie guerrero who was one of my favorite wrestlers so i think that's also something that always gives me a little bit of emotion too because of the background of what happened with Eddie. So I just think that's very interesting as well. Right. For those unfamiliar, Eddie Guerrero was a very popular WWE wrestler and he had a bunch of substance abuse issues and eventually died very young near the top of his popularity. And so it's one of the many uh, tragic wrestling stories, which we will also get into talking about these songs. And also the music video for the Chavo Guerrero song, he actually got to be with Chavo, like Chavo's in that music video because Chavo is one of the wrestlers who was still around. So when this album came out, so that was very cool to see. And then Foreign Object is, there's not a lot of depth to Foreign Object, you know, it's but it's I think maybe the closest thing the Mountain Goats have to a comedy song. John is just like very playing a character who's just, you know, obsessed with the sickness of wrestling violence. Like he like the, there's a line where it's like, I will personally stab you in the eye with a foreign object. And it's just delivered in a way that you're not supposed to take it seriously. And I kind of love that because it's very rare for John to sort of let his guard down and be sort of goofy like that. And funny enough, as someone who's a deathmatch fan like myself, it's actually like, oh, I can think about actually watching someone like Mick Foley stab someone else in the eye with a foreign object. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's a very fun song as I'm laughing. It's, it is actually a very good lyrically. It works well together. Right. And then Animal Mask, this is another song that is... You might not even pick up on it when you're listening to it, but it's basically it's a song about a battle royal where it's just, you know, there are a bunch of wrestlers in the ring and they're trying to throw one over and it's sung from the perspective of like an older wrestler, like forming an alliance with a younger kid and like, you know, being there who has an animal mask and like being there for them. And but really, it's a song. Of, I, I read some things where. It's a song about John in the delivery room with when his kid was being bored 
where it's sort of oh, he is the yes he is the older wrestler and he's entering in this you know new person that he's going to like be there and take care of and there's a line they won't see you not until you want them to which in the wrestling terms is like talking about the the mask and not having to take off your mask when you don't want to in wrestling tradition and for you know as a parent it's a parallel to being like you get to be the person i'm here to protect you and you don't have to let the world into your space until you feel kind of comfortable with that and it's very touching when you kind of have that thing where it's oh this is a song about a bunch of dudes fighting and throwing each other over but it's really john writing like a parent song without being like one of those people who is like well now i'm a parent so all i'm going to talk about is being a parent and i'm going to write about is being a parent it's just like well, i'm going to kind of do that but it's going to be a song about sweaty mass dudes throwing each other over ropes and choked out is sort of a song about just embracing the pain it's kind of a a masochistic person like you know it could be a metaphor for any number of things it could be somebody you know who's going down spiraling with addiction and just kind of embracing that full full force as people are looking on kind of in horror but it's that sort of gleefulness in accepting pain sometimes and then he'll turn to which i will kind of i'll first let, leave the floor for you since that's one of your favorite songs but uh you know just generally speaking in wrestling heel turns are referencing when a good guy flips over to being a bad guy you know it's a bunch of people in the bunch of good guys in the ring and then the good guy turns a steel chair on all his friends and betrays them and joins the bad guys and things like that. So that's the context for the song, but I'll, I'll, I'll lay out for you to talk about it. Yeah. I really think the lyrics that speak to me in that song is a, the chorus is I don't want to die in here repeated. And it's very, as someone with mental health issues and sometimes suicidality, it really like, I know he's in a ring and he doesn't want to die in the ring, but it feels very much, it sticks out to me. Yeah, it's got that trapped feeling of where you you just feel like you have no way out. And in this case, the character in the song feels like he has no way out of being this good guy character. So the only way out is to flip the script and take the jump and be the bad guy. The first four lines or five lines, I guess, of verse two really is what also fits into that, which is the drift down into the new dark light. Without any reservations, you found my breaking point. Congratulations. So I, I listen to the song a lot when I'm like depressed, which is interesting because you think depressing songs, you, you know, but it's really like John's, I think one thing that's always spoken to me about most mountain goats is John's pain and depression and stuff is really, as someone who also has mental illness, really always what I, what I really like about this stuff. Yeah. And within the context, it also works just of like oh yeah the album the album makes a lot of it plays with kayfabe which is you know the sense of like pretending like wrestling is real all the time and this song is more like keeping kayfabe where like the character's like this is like in the character like i have no way out i'm this character and you know the general thinking is that ba- the bad guys the heels have more fun when they're working in wrestling but 
in this case, it's in the character. So it makes it a little more engaging than if it was, you know, talking about how, you know, the business aspect of turning heel or something like that. No, it's yeah. just in character. I'm because I've had enough of being a guy. I'm, I'm going to be bad all of a sudden. And it is that over the top fun that, is, that fans feel when some when like one of those moments happens, like when yeah, Seth Rollins is- turns on the shield, where it's just like, oh yeah, what? How could he possibly do that? Oh, and everybody's like horrified and like pumped and like cheering and booing, and it's all like one mess of like what is going on? Chaos, and this song really uh, crystallizes that chaos in a very fun way. Yeah, because the last verse is basically about. <laughs> people the fans getting so upset they're throwing stuff into the ring and he the the, the person in the song is like i don't really care i'm just gonna walk, walk away and torch the bridge which sometimes also speaks to what you want to do when you're just like i don't want this life anymore i want to walk away from my problems or whatever mm-hmm. so fire editorial is kind of again about that kayfabe fake real wrestling aspect of it it was you know it's specifically referencing a uh, one of the sheet, the chic in, I think. Yeah, the, the original chic. The original in Sheik. Detroit, in Detroit. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just was doing a little research too. Uh, basically, he was the first guy to really do the fireball into the eye. So, mm. like, you know, obviously using flash paper, but he would blow it into their eye, and, like burn, you know, supposedly blind them. Yeah, quote unquote blind. He was basically the the booker, the the person who did the promoting as well in Detroit. So he was the main heel there, but he would basically never, ever lose or because he would win. You know, well, he would lose by disqualification because, you know, the baby faces would win technically when they would get the fire in the eye because that's illegal. But right. And it so it's sort of working within that. So, you know, when he was doing that at the time, like all the you'd, people would keep up with wrestling through reading like magazines and publications devoted to it. And it would be like, oh, my gosh, uh, edit, the editorial part is like. Uh, you know, they would write stories in kayfabe where it would be like, oh my gosh, this guy is a menace. He's, he's going to like ruin the city because he's just blinding all these great men out there and stuff like that. So it's sort of the weirdly that like balance between real and not real, you know, getting worked, so to speak, (laughs) which happens a lot nowadays with people uh, getting real worked by uh, fake threats. Yeah, wrestling journalism in the seventies especially was very interesting because they all did keep it kayfabe. So it was very much everything that happened was real. It was literally fake news. It was like yes. actually intentionally fake news, and yeah. people would buy in because again, kayfabe was still a thing. So people, less people were informed that like, oh, these are pre-scripted or these people are playing characters. So people would throw stuff in the stands and stuff like that. And it's it's it weirdly like thematically works a little bit better in real life now than maybe even when it was released in 2015. Yeah. Got a little more resonance. Yeah. And then the next song is another real life song, which is uh, stabbed outside San Juan, which is basically the bruiser Brody uh, death story. Yeah. Which is very interesting too. Basically bruiser Brody was a big, american guy who was you know hairy and big and giant he never basically lost and he went to puerto rico a lot and the bookers there 
he there was something going on with one of the bookers there and he didn't get along and somehow he went to one of the shows there and basically what ended up happening is he got stabbed in the shower in the after his match yeah so like he died basically on the way to the hospital and no one there was a trial but never really basically the bookers in puerto rico and the story goes that basically they paid off or something like that the cops or whatever so there was never real any punishment right bruiser brody was a guy who would work stiff as they would say where sometimes he'd just like legitimately like hit you or legitimately throw you around and not try and be safe with it so he rubbed a bunch of people the wrong way and it ended up costing him so that's a i don't know that that song maybe has the it might be the most interesting in terms of the actual storytelling of the actual event that happened, but I don't think it maybe has the best, like bigger metaphor as, as some of the other songs do. And if you're really curious, there's the whole vice documentary, the dark side of the ring about Bruiser Brody right. really covers the whole story. Yeah. Werewolf gimmick. Again, this is somebody sort of buying like, it's sort of delving too deep into your own thing. There's a wrestling term where it's, you know, you, like you worked yourself into a shoot, which means basically like you bought the fake storyline so long and believed it so hard that now it's become the real thing. And, you know, I think that happens. I Again, there's parallels in real life where, you know, it's somebody just starts being a certain type of person. And then, you know, like I'm going to be, this you know wall street businessman and then i have to you sort of start becoming the character in because you think that like oh i need to play this character yeah yeah and again fits the whole mental health as well too because sometimes you lose yourself in your depression or your who you think you've become i don't know it's somebody yet again that fits the whole don john darnell whole mountain goats aesthetic when it comes to mental health issues yes you can work out your demons at least partially by listening to some mountain goats records luna the next song is another in real life story of do you want to take the lead on this one yeah you can too it's just kind of sad though because luna vishan was a wrestler unfortunately she's like a lot of wrestlers has passed before her time um but in 2009 i think he said that Basically, her whole house went up in flames and she basically lost everything. Oh, yeah. The, song, the song itself is kind of written as a tribute that. to her. Yeah. It's kind of written as, written as a tribute to her. She was one of the first really big name, not the first, but one of the, another big name women's wrestler, especially in the 70s and the late 80s, like 70s through the 80s. And she was mostly a manager in the 90s. And it was interesting that John referenced her on the album, I thought. Yeah. But like her story is also very interesting. I think they're doing a dark side of the ring about her as well. Yeah, it's it her story and Bruiser Brody's story play in a lot with kind of a lot of the wrestling coverage of the past like 15 or so years where, you know, there are things like Dark Side of the Ring, there was the Dead Wrestler of the Week column that used to be in Deadspin that David Shoemaker wrote because it was becoming more and more an epidemic of these pro wrestlers who just burn bright and burned out because of the wear and tear that both the in-ring action takes on their body, the touring life of driving around everywhere, the and the drinking and the drugs that are involved with that, the painkillers to 
numb all the pain from bouncing around on the rings and it just all these people just kept going quick yeah and they weren't paid very much money which is why they continued to wrestle too a lot of times too it's like very few people until like the last 10 years really made money as a wrestler you either had other jobs or you, that's why you continually tour is because you the only way you can make money and i think that's part of the tragedy too it's like so in Luna losing her like entire life basically up in flames, she didn't really have that much to replace, even right. though she was like a well well known women's wrestler. Right, and that song just sort of tackles that that feeling of your whole life going up in flames, and then just having this sort of last chapter that's kind of like quick and sad. That yeah. just it was all gone in a blaze, and now you're just going to fade pr- pretty quickly after that because what you've had is is there and i mean it, go, it it goes into that transcendental youth thing of all the sort of addictions and both of the spent gladiator songs and just trying to fight when the world is sort of just you're not getting any breaks and it just seems like you're trailing off into the end and then i guess unmass is one that i i really enjoy because so in luchador culture which is you know the mexican wrestling with the mass guys like ray mysterio a lot of them just the the gimmick is one that you live and you just don't go out in public without your mask on ever so being unmasked is this huge like end of a era end of your career type thing and that's why it works so well as sort of this fading days like finding acceptance before death metaphor that there that john is running through here it's you know gaining you gain more knowledge if you know sort of the history of lucha culture so it's you know it's this last match and the the setup of the song is that though it's the person who's going to unmask the other person and it's basically like i'm gonna know i'm going to beat you because we've already planned out this match and then i'm going to take off your mask and that's essentially like killing you in a certain way and, yeah, but but we are working together in tandem, and you know it's coming, and I know it's coming, and we're going to get through this together. You know, it's like having like a being there when a, when a parent is dying or something almost, where you're just searching. You're like it's like being at the bedside and working through all this all, and it's just emotion. It's an emotional wallop of a song. Yeah, and the fact that like you said, luchador culture like you wear your mask in public everywhere. I mean, there's the famous case of El Santo who basically only took off his mask once in public ever. Right. And he was buried in his mask too, I believe. Yes. So it's, you know, it's, they they take it very seriously. So, and usually if you're getting unmasked, you can never go back to getting, wearing a mask again or getting a new gimmick unless you have, there's very few cases where it's either been because of the unmasking wasn't considered quote good by the people in Mexico, the ruling councils or, they have a special dispensation. Right. Or it was just a dumb decision that WCW made. That's what Ray I was trying to reference. Ray Mysterio. Yeah. Yeah, Ray Mysterio, Ray Mysterio was unmasked in WCW, and then they're like, wait, why did we do this? This guy is like, t- like 20-something at the time, and now he's like still – that was like in the 90s, and now he's still wrestling masked to this day. And yeah, and there has been cases of other wrestlers in Mexico who have gotten unmasked and went back to mask in a different gimmick, but it's very rare. And then Balda Bull Romos is about Apache Bull Romos, who's another in real life wrestler. 
and I I like this song because it's it's sad. It's it's again kind of like what we were talking about these wrestlers who have these sort of tragic ends. Like he lost a toe, he went blind, but it's such an upbeat song. And I mean, he still died at sixty eight, which is relatively young, but it's a song about kind of savoring those memories and actually like living happily in your advanced years despite all the hardships you inv- encountered. And he was the only wrestler I didn't, when this album came out, I think he was the only one I didn't really know anything about. Right. Which, reading about his biography, though, like, he wrestled a lot of really famous other wrestlers. It just was never, it was very interesting. But I, I love the song in general. I think the lyrics are good. And I think, yeah, it's a very interesting song. It's like a song that should be kind of depressing, but it's done in a way, it's written in a way that it's about, you know, again, just like holding on to those beautiful memories as opposed to, you know, being bitter about the time you lost. It's just like, oh, he's just like replaying all these wonderful scenes in his mind. He might be blind, but he's still like has a joy inside of him. And then Hair Match to end things out is another just like song about impending death and impending fading away done through the context of a hair match, which was a match where the loser of the match has to cut their hair or have their head shaved. And it's just sort of about being like the whole, it's a whole scene painted here where it's, there's the wrestlers in the ring and the person's having to be held down and, and accepting the bad thing. And there's the audience who are, some of them are leaving and some of them are, hiding their eyes because they don't want to look at this bad thing that's happening, but it's grappling with sort of that collective acceptance of the end. You know, it's almost funereal in a way where they all know what's about to happen and some are able to deal with it and some are not, but it's going to happen anyway, whether they want to or not. Just like Unmask, it's another luchador. I mean, started in Mexico really but it's obviously hair versus hair matches or hair versus mask matches are very it's lucha de apostuela I can never remember how to pronounce the Spanish so I'm really sorry it's fine basically it's the idea that you wager your hair or your mask in a match and so like if you lose you obviously get your hair shaved behold and it's definitely very much yet again another thing like unmasking where it fits the whole I'm gonna start a whole new life or you know or something my ending is coming and there's a case, a couple of cases of famous hair matches where the, the person losing decided to do their own shaving because they're like, they don't want the, the indignity. Indignity of somebody like being holding them down and shaving like Minoru Suzuki did that. Yeah, Suzuki especially is the big one I can think of where he's like, nope, I'm just going to shave my own head so you can't do anything <laughs> right. about it. Right. And it's very much goes with sort of those honor codes in wrestling where in the Suzuki one, like he was a bad guy and a bunch of guys came down, a bunch of his like fellow guys in his stable his cronies came down and were like no we could like get you out of here and he's like no like i'm going back there and i'm shaving my own head because a promise is a promise and this is our culture and we respect the rules even though i'm a bad guy but i i respect this culture too much and it's you know the same thing it's just like it's a this whole album touches so much on loss and respect and tradition and just kind of the way that wrestling can be used as a beautiful metaphor for life in all these ways that, you know, you might not get if you're somebody who watched wrestling in the Attitude Era and it was like bra and panties matches and a bunch of guys saying suck it. 
It's like, <laughs> oh no, this is this is from a simpler time and where it's just, you know, laying yourself out there and battling your demons, both fake ones in the ring and real ones when you get out of the ring and just how that can sink in perfectly with issues of mental health and issues of loss and issues of, you know, losing yourself and losing the ones around you and still trying to find joy in the life that you have. To pick that that song to end on is just perfect and the lyrics just fit. The album in general, I think, just fits together so well with that as to be in the, the outro. Yeah. I, and that was, I read that that was actually the first song that John wrote for the record. And then it was. Oh, interesting. So it, the end point was the thing that he then like tailored the rest of the record sort of to because he's like, oh, I can do a whole album on stuff like this. And this is a great spot to end. So it's kind of interesting to think about in that sort of reverse construction sort of way. All right. So is, is there anything else you would like to address about the album sort of in the junk drawer segment? The only thing I had to is that there is two other songs, I think, that are about wrestling that John did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ox Baker Triumphant, which predates Beat the Champ by quite a few years. And then when Beat the Champ came out, there's a wrestler named Sasha Banks who was a little upset that John didn't write the song about it. She jokingly tweeted about something about it, like how she wanted a song about her or something like that. Yeah, Sasha did tweet at John. That's what it was. Asking when the record came out, where's my song? And then John found out about her and like wanted to write a song. It's just called Song for Sasha Banks, right? Yeah, Song for Sasha Banks, which fits the whole, he has all those songs that are just song for and then something after it. Right. All right. So I think that covers Beat the Champ. I hope I made a slightly compelling argument. I would recommend you go out and listen to this album, even if you do not care at all about wrestling or even if you do not care about the Mountain Goats. It's just an excellent album that has a lot to mine and bite down on if you take the time to go look for it. Allison, is there anything you would like to plug on your way out? No, you can find me on my social still, Allison McManus on Twitter. I tweet about wrestling and music a lot. (laughs) Yep. So check out Allison there. Thanks for coming on again. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. (laughs) 